This podcast is brought to you by the Ohio Writing Project. OWP supports teachers from all over Ohio and celebrates the professionalism, expertise, and talent of our state's educators. Ohio Writing Project, teachers teaching teachers. And today I'm so excited to talk about place-based writing with Celeste Hopkins and Carrie Crotty. But first, a poem. This one's called Cold Snap, and it's by OWP's own Courtney Schumann. The sterile surroundings come through in her voice. The words impossible to understand as I watch you. Baby A and Baby B, she says, not knowing that you are named and loved. She must not see you so full of life like the renewal of spring as you squirm in black and white like a bloom on a tree, promising bright flowers for tomorrow. As she moves the magic wand that gives us a glimpse, we see you next to each other, together from the start, one beginning that formed two hearts. How could this promise of life be false, like a brief cold snap that brings the return of a cruel and punishing winter while ice settles on the blooms? We wait, we hope, we pray, and then the thaw begins as you two arrive and the world is again bathed in sunlight. Those lingering words are gone as the doctor beams at you both, but the words are never forgotten, frozen in the memory of two parents mangled from the cold. Beautiful. Okay, so now on to today's interview. Today we're talking with Carrie Crotty and Celeste Hopkins. Actually, Celeste Hopkins for most of the time, and then Carrie's going to join partway through. And we're going to talk about something called place-based writing. And there are lots of different variations, lots of different ways you could approach place-based writing. We're going to talk about most of them. And I'm so excited because Ohio Writing Project is actually offering a class on place-based writing for teachers this summer. You can find out more about it in the show notes, and guess who's teaching it? Carrie Crotty and Celeste Hopkins. So here it is, my interview with Celeste Hopkins and eventually Carrie Crotty. For our course, we're looking more at um, getting not only into the nature side, but also into the community. Mm -hmm. and looking at the history of our community, mm -hmm. um, whether it's a neighborhood or a business or, you know, the whole, um, a whole area history. Um, and, and even looking at um, how we can get involved in modern day businesses or modern day issues in the community. Um, not and not necessarily issues, but just like solving problems or mm -hmm. uh, having the kids touch base with uh, businesses or local groups and getting involved in their community in different ways. Um, but I like the nature and the history options because yeah. not every community has a rich history that a teacher could easily tap into. Like maybe it wasn't uh, recorded or easily accessible. Um, but 
the computer, the communities that may not have the rich histories that are easy to find probably have rich nature and vice versa, right? I would think so, yeah. I would think that would definitely be the case. Um, and even if you can't find something close by, you could also kind of just go out a little bit farther. Uh, with Cincinnati, there's so many places you could go and find mm -hmm. that rich history. Um, it might not be right in, in the mm -hmm. district, mm -hmm. but it could be, you know, a half hour drive away. Oh yeah, I did this kind of work in Lebanon, which I'm, I'm lucky because Lebanon is uh, branded itself even as a historical town. And we would just go out and look at the historical markers and the dates on the sides of buildings. And I may not have known what most of those were. And I didn't, when, in the moments when I didn't know how to teach something or what, where to go with something, I was lucky that the town historian was a former teacher in my building. So he was easy to get in touch with, but I imagine most town historians are easy to contact. Yeah, I would, I mean, we've had a couple of people come that have been affiliated with our school. We've had like contacts and they've been able to come in and uh, talk with students. I'm trying to think of one in, in particular. Um, there was one a couple of years ago, well, Actually, it was at our old building, so it was probably five years ago. Um, he was a world, if I remember right, I think a World War II vet. He's very elderly, but he was, he, and he was from, he's from Cincinnati, and he was kind of talking to the kids about what it was like when he went to serve, uh, what it was like in Cincinnati, and mm -hmm. how he had a lot of friends that went with him um, into the military and not that that was about a specific place, but it was about that culture and that mm -hmm. time period here in our own community um, and what it was like. I, it was so fascinating. And of course I teach history. So I'm always intrigued by people who bring a historical perspective. Um, no, I love this because, you know, there's that saying uh, to think globally, act locally. It's hard to act locally if you haven't learned locally, right? I think so, yeah. So I'm, I'm kind of, I want to just for the, like rewind it a little bit for a teacher who maybe isn't as familiar with place-based learning. Um, so you go outside of the school, maybe into the playground area or into a natural area near the school or maybe out into the community just looking for things. You go outside, then what? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I mean, there's all kinds of possibilities. I think, depending on where you go, obviously, if, let's just keep it close by to start. Um, if your school has a garden or a nice yard or a forest or woods nearby, um, really, it, when you take kids outside, you can almost take their lead. Uh, but if you're teaching a science class on, you know, uh, food webs or food uh, cycles or, mm -hmm. or even, even uh, the water cycle or any kind of science-based class, you go out and you can have the kids look for those things that are related to that mm -hmm. subject and write, what are you seeing? Just observations. That's a, a skill that kids can work on from, you know, day one in school. What are you seeing? What are you thinking about that? 
you know, what have you learned? All, you know, those three little pieces that go together that um, really we should be working with kids on that all the time. Um, and that'll get them writing. Mm-hmm. And, and really it's the authenticity of going outside of the classroom. Mm-hmm. Uh, kids today are so focused on their devices in the classroom, out of the classroom, and they go home, that when they, it, it's almost like a big change happens. Kids change. They become more animated. And, and even those kids that you think are really disengaged, when they're outside, they're going to be those kids that surprise you mm-hmm. and become more of a leader and more of an observer and more of an engaged learner. Um, but really, you can take the lead from the kids, you can incorporate this in any kind of subject. And I think having them write about what they're seeing, just write down observations, write down reflections, or what they're thinking when they see something outside, um, that can be really powerful and lead Mm -hmm. to discussions, it can lead to uh, more focused learning on a subject. Um, so that's, that's how I would approach it. I know when we mm-hmm. had our garden, we would go out there and there would be parents who would talk about the different vegetables or fruits or flowers and how seeds grow. That was when I taught second grade and mm-hmm. um, we were learning about germination and, and plants and, and the food, the food web. Um, <clears throat> So I think, I, I just think there's all kinds of mm-hmm. avenues to, to explore. And even just Absolutely. from language arts perspective, just go out, sit down, listen, look, write. Yeah. Kids will, kids will go for it. Oh yeah. Like in the garden is so prime. It's such a fertile learning ground. Oh, that was an accidental that's, pun. That's um, awesome. <laughs> that's not intended, but uh <laughs> Those are the best though. And, but you don't have to be a gardener because yeah. I know that one of the uh, tenets of any kind of project-based learning or project work or place-based learning, and they kind of, I know they, they intersect with each other in many ways, is to bring in an expert. You don't yeah. have to be the expert. Um, right. When I did a garden, I figured it would be easier to do a pollinator garden because I didn't know how to garden, but I knew that weeds would grow. Yeah. <laughs> and, <laughs> But I was surprised at how much, um, how many ways there it could be incorporated into the curriculum. Through social studies, we were able to think about the five themes of geography yeah. just by studying the garden. We studied how movement in and out of the garden from the pollinators would affect things. We studied, you know, the five themes. I won't go into all of them because I maybe don't remember them because I'm not a social studies teacher. I just was that year. You, you got um, to place, movement, location, yep. human environment interaction. Interaction, yep. Right? And um, what was the other one? Oh, our region. Yeah. And yeah. all of those things play a huge role in what can grow in the garden mm-hmm. in addition to how we create the garden. There's right. also a lot of math. As students figured out how we were going to divide up plots and which plants should go where, we had to do that ratio kind of stuff. And yeah. I took a picture of the work I was doing and showed it to a math teacher. And she gave me all kinds of heck because I was teaching the way that I was taught instead of um, the more intuitive way that students should be learning uh, math. But it was a great learning experience for me. 
Um, it, was, wouldn't that be an opportunity to collaborate with another subject teacher exactly and, and kind of come up with hey let's do some math out in the garden exactly science yeah i started thinking of other garden things and i realized as i was studying my social studies curriculum we were studying uh, the chinese and there's so much in our uh texts that we had as resources about the the gardening work that the ancient chinese did the amazing gardens they created um and in addition to all that, there was the research aspect of learning about the plants. And then we had to create some kind of information board so that people would know what was in our garden. I mean, there's just so much, I'm just the tip of the iceberg here with what you can do just with a garden. And the great thing is you, the kids can go back out. They can go back out to the garden and revisit and get more ideas. It's not just something that <clears throat> is there and then gone. And it's authentic. They can recreate it in their own yard in a different mm -hmm. way. So can you tell us about some of the projects that you've done with students? Like some of the writing, place-based writing projects? Well, we, like I said, we did have a garden. So mm -hmm. I did, especially in the spring when things started growing, um, we would go out there several times. I mean, well, I say several times. Um, I would say probably two or three times a week for short periods. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and a lot of times parents would come in and, and have, you know, they would, they loved coming in and talking to the kids about certain things. Mm -hmm. um, we also, like I've said, we've had, we have a woods behind our school. And this is also great when the kids are just restless and you need to get them out. We would take walks and they would have their notebooks and they couldn't talk to each other, but we would just walk around the perimeter of the woods and look, you know, stop and look in. What are you seeing? Um, draw, either sketch what you're seeing or jot down what you're hearing and seeing. Um, and they would get a little exercise and they would write. <clears throat> so very close to home, that's something that we've done. We also did, we went, went off campus. I teach sixth grade now. So um, mm -hmm. when we first moved into our building, we started go, walking off campus onto the, um, the Anderson path. I don't know really what it's called, but there's a walking path. So we would, we would go down there and um, the kids would bring their notebooks and we would have them sit along the path after we got to a certain point, just spread out a little bit and sit. And, um, they could write about the people they saw passing. They loved it when they would see dogs passing <laughs> or bike riders or whatever. Um, so all of those are really local. Another thing that we did uh, at one point, I was the media specialist for a year at Wilson as well. And <clears throat> the kids actually one year were able to reach out to different places in the community. Um, they would call up places and ask if they could write a, an advertisement or, mm. um, you know, create a product or whatever, just at, just kind of for school-based, but not that they would actually adapt, adopt it and use it. But so many of the businesses were really uh, receptive mm -hmm. and um, they were really great with working with the kids, talking to them about, sure, why don't you come up with something? And the kids loved that. 
they love, I think it gave them a sense of feeling like they had um, some uh, purchase and some, um, I don't want to say power. What's the word I'm looking for? It's in like the community. Agency. Yeah, agency. yeah. That's the word, agency mm -hmm. in the community. So um, that was really powerful. They could not wait. I, I, some kids I had to say, you can't call them again. You've called them three days in a row. You can't call them again. <laughs> Just do something. <laughs> um, but that really ignited a lot of kids mm -hmm. uh, to, to kind of get involved in the community. Um, I love it. I, I teach, right now I teach sixth grade um, social studies mm -hmm. and I was on jury duty this year. So I had the kids um, kind of, I had them try to look up, like I had never been to the courthouse downtown, but um, I said, why don't you guys look up the, the courthouse and see if you know you can find out when it was built and, and what goes on there. And some of the kids, and this was optional because I was, I, I wanted them to teach me. I didn't have time to do it. I was like, why did you do that? Because they were asking me all kinds of questions I could not answer. So mm -hmm. a couple of the kids actually did. They did some research and um, <laughs> they found some pictures and they were showing me and they, I said, well, let's, let's show the whole class. And some kids looked up how to, you know, what, what being on a jury is all about. Mm -hmm. um, so. No, I love this because technology has made it so that we can do a, a lot more with place-based learning. Like um, Google Earth has made it so that you can visit the places that you are learning about in class. Yes. And our, I know it's not po necessarily possible for every single teacher, every classroom, but if your school has iPads or something like this, you could make it work. Um, when I've done place-based learning, we would bring out our phones and we would take pictures of all the things that we were just taking as many pictures as you can. Yes. Says, and we would stop and write too. But what ha what it made it so cool was on those days when it was the weather was horrible. Let's get out our phones and and look through our camera roll of some of the pictures that we took and let's take some time to think from those or write from those. <laughs> so we're joined by Carrie Crotty who is co-teaching uh, the place-based learning class this summer with Celeste. Uh, Carrie, talk, can you talk about some of the place-based um, exercises you've done with students? Sure, I think the first one I ever did was when I was teaching seventh grade language arts. And we had a little bit of time at the end of the year in like an enrichment bell. And it was after testing. So I, I kind of had like the, the, the go ahead to try something that I really wanted to do. And so we started it and did something called sit spots, which basically is an idea where you go and you just put yourself in a specific place and it's typically outside, but it doesn't really have to be. And then you do that every day for a period of time, you know, 10 minutes or whatever it might be and just observe. And it really begins as just an observational thing. And you do that for a week, or if you were doing it on your own, you could do it, you know, for a longer period of time than that. And then at some point you kind of draw a line and begin to talk to students more about like specific observations that they've made and what those might be. And for some of them, you know, a lot of where, where we were in ended up being a lot of maybe plant-based or like growth-based because it was during springtime. So these kids were outside every day and they were starting to notice like, oh, that thing seems like it's changing or oh, I hear this sound happening. Like, what is that? And so it, it kind of starts with the observation part and then it begins to transition pretty naturally into questioning. 
And then, so we did a, a series of questions and basically turned it into like a mini research project. Hmm. And I had, I don't know, I think it was probably 20 kids in that group. And then they did, I think some worked with a partner, but we did a, a, a short, you know, week or two, like research off of that um, with that question. And then they presented them to each other, but it was cool. Cause we all had kind of the same shared experience in that location, but then seeing these kids legitimately come up with real questions of their own based off the stuff that they'd been seeing in that specific location. Um, How interesting. And so I was like, that was kind of my first time ever doing anything like that. And I've sort of used that sit spot idea because it's one, it's like really easy for me. Um, I just have to kind of think of a place or I don't even actually have to have the place they can have it. Um, but it's also like one of the things I really want to try to emphasize to my students is just this idea of observation and just seeing. And that's, you know, whether that's mm -hmm. seeing in a text or seeing in a film or even just in my own like personal life, how do I see things that are happening around me? Mm -hmm. um, and I know that that's like really the baseline for a lot of good thinking is just observing effectively. Mm -hmm. And so it's a cool way to kind of practice that, you know, outside of a poem, um, but that, that kind of helps them, I think, do that in a, in a real way that they could Beautiful. connect to. So Celeste and Carrie, I, I think that two things that would maybe scare a teacher away from any new progressive or out there practice um, is one, how, what if my kids go haywire? Um, and from all the things I've heard, this is why I asked you to share some of the um, place-based learning activities you've done with, with students is because I didn't hear in any of these situations um, the whole classroom revolting or going, and I'm kind of hearing the opposite. And then the other thing that I think might scare teachers is how am I going to plan for this? How am I going to gather resources? Because this is completely uncharted territory. I love, that's why I love the sit spots idea that you're talking about, because it doesn't require a lot of place-based learning expertise. You just do sit spots and get started with it, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I think it's one of those, and I, I've heard a lot of people say this through different OWP stuff, but like the idea of, it's not me. Like I don't, I don't need to be the expert in this. I need to find a situation where you can go out and really look at something and learn and they can do that. You know, mm -hmm. right. I, if given the right structure, I think they can do that. So no, it was something I had never done it before. I had heard um, my wife actually is involved in outdoor education and she like mentioned it and I was like, Oh, that's cool. What's that? And we tried it and it worked really well. And as Celeste and I were talking about this earlier, anytime you run into something you don't know, and that will happen a lot, it should happen you can always bring in local experts. So what are some things that you do to plan for place-based learning? Celeste, do you wanna? Sure. Um, well, I think for, for planning purposes, it's not, I don't think it's, you don't have to plan as much really, if that makes sense, especially if you're staying really local. Um, if you're staying on your own campus, obviously you just have to like pick your time and, and day, hopefully a nice day if you're going outside um, and what, what the focus is. And I think uh, Carrie said it really well is a lot of, I think a lot of it when you're going outside out of the classroom is the observation skills. That's, that's really key and everything will grow from there. Mm. Now, if you're doing more of a historical type 
um, learning than probably reaching out. And if it's a field trip, if you have to go off campus, obviously you've got to plan for all of that. Mm -hmm. But I think really you can, you can keep it pretty authentic by not over planning mm -hmm. and just letting, just letting kids observe, uh, jot down what they're, mm -hmm. what they're seeing, what their questions are, what, what are they thinking? Um, and incorporating, like we talked earlier, just if there are some math components or science components or social studies, just maybe even just give them those prompts, like, um, you know, a, a little math prompt for those kids that are more math inclined. How, how would you figure out this equation? Or for those scientists, those science wizards in your groups, like, how would you you know, how would you mm -hmm. experiment with this? Or, you know what I mean? I mm -hmm. mean, you can, it, it's more, I feel like it's more, um, oh gosh, here's my. No, I, I, like what you're word? saying <laughs> resonates with me because um, in a lot of the project work books that you'll read, especially the ones that deal with a specific kind of project work that's based out of Reggio Emilia, Elizabeth Ferris and I talked about it an episode or two ago. It all starts with a provocation. Yes. Uh, when you're doing any kind of project work, especially like with place-based learning, the place that you take students to is you're not teaching them the what, you're teaching them the how of learning, right? And they just need something that provokes them, that gets them interested or piques their curiosity. Right. And uh, I'm thinking about Stephanie Harvey um, and Ann Guvis and Jay Bureau's book, Inquiry Illuminated, where mm -hmm. the teacher's job doesn't always have to be explaining everything that's around them the teacher's job can be here's how you do the work of an inquirer here's how you do the observational work here's how you can take field notes when you notice something here's how you can go further we can it it seems like what i'm getting from what you and carrie are saying is this place-based learning gives teachers the chance to focus more on the how of learning and i think celeste made a really good point too of like knowing those science kids, knowing those math kids. So if I know my students, you know, and, and I don't know, this might look interesting at the beginning of the year versus the end of the year, that might be a way of getting to know them. But like, if I go on a field trip with a kid, I know the kid that wants a, a push toward, you know, a historical reference. And I know mm -hmm. the kid that might want to push toward, look at the way that that building's designed or the kid that might want to push toward, you know, the, the way that this is a function in some modern event. And so I think like thinking about that aspect too, of I can go to the same place and I mean, I'm going to go to the same place and we're all going to see some other, some different aspects just because my kids are different. So I think almost like the biggest role of the teacher might be just understanding which kids are going to find this element interesting. Mm -hmm. and, and then how do I kind of nudge them toward that or setting them up ahead of time, right? By making sure that they have this, the things they're going to need before they even go into that experience. Absolutely. Absolutely. And when you, when you asked earlier, Noah, about, you know, hopefully kids aren't revol revolting and how teachers might find this, um, worrisome or intimidating because you don't know how the kids are going to react. I think obviously, you know, teachers are going to set expectations, but kids will surprise you. And when they're, especially those kids that don't do school very well, you know, they, they might seem really disengaged in the classroom when they get out into the, into nature or into the community um, outside of the classroom, I think, I think you're going to see a lot of kids are much more engaged in some way, um, especially if you set it up for them, like, you know, if they, if you know who, who your science kids are, or who your math kids are, look, go look at that, you know, you can nudge them that way and, and they'll surprise you. I love it. 
So Celeste and Carrie are teaching a class this summer, depending on when you're listening to this podcast, uh, July 12th through the 30th of 2021. It's a three credit hour course called Where We're From, Place-Based Writing and Learning. What can you tell people about what you're going to be teaching or if they miss the class, what you will have taught? I'm, I'm almost thinking about it as like a two-prong, like I think there's two sides to, to the class sort of. Um, and one is some specific, you know, maybe some specific techniques, some specific strategies that I might be able to try to help incorporate more place-based learning and writing into my class. So that might be, you know, a sit spot, or it might be some specific places in our community that I can go and think about, about the different impacts that might have on me. But then I honestly, the other part I think is, and I know the four week was like this for me a lot, like teaching of writing was a way for me to think about teaching writing to my students, but it was also a way for me to become more aware of what that looked like in my own life and where I was as a writer, which then, kind of echoed back into my teaching again anyway. Um, and so I, I'm sort of thinking about it that way that like one of the things is like, yes, some specific things you can try, some specific ideas for right around here, but then also just the idea of like, what does it look like for me as a person to be more aware of where I am, you know, whether that's my geography or, or nature around me or, you know, my, my place in society and how that's shaping me. And so I think it's, it's going to be kind of both those things. And that idea of, you know, where do I find myself in the world? And then how can I use that understanding to help my students see themselves wherever they are too? Yeah, ditto. <laughs> I was just going to say, I mean, I pretty much what you said, Carrie, what I was going to say, no. Um, the same, I think. Um, the other, one other thing I did want to touch on and this is from the perspective of a social studies teacher, because that's what I do most. I, I don't teach language arts every year, but I love teaching it when I can. Um, I, I do incorporate a lot of writing in social studies. And I think writing can be, should be, and can be incorporated in every subject. And I think it enriches and kind of opens, gives kids a wider perspective of a subject or a concept. Um, one of the things I do is, is we mentioned this earlier, um, the five themes of geography, one of them is place. And <clears throat> for from the historical con uh, perspective, I teach ancient civilizations. Mm -hmm. And I have the kids study places and they're not local, <clears throat> obviously, because we're sixth grade history is the Eastern Hemisphere. So they're about as far away as you can mm -hmm. get, but I start local and I actually have kids <clears throat> go around our school and they take pictures. This is something you mentioned earlier, which made me think of this. They go around and they take pictures of our school inside and out. And they, I do have devices. I have iPads, but I also have like um, phone devices mm -hmm. that they can take pictures on and they come back and they have to write <clears throat> I tell them, write about your school. What do, you, what do you see in these pictures? What do you know about it? Most of them have been there six years. Mm -hmm. And the, the things they write are amazing. They, they write about the people that they know at the school. They write about the place itself, you know, the building, the four walls. But besides that, it, it, they write a lot about, it, some of their pieces are very emotional. Mm -hmm. So that's, fits into it too. And then we kind of work out from there. 
um, you know, right, wh where's your house? We look at my maps, Google my maps, and we look at, um, you know, where's your house? What's your neighborhood like? What is your, um, what is our community, Anderson Township or Cincinnati like? And we kind of go out from there because again, I have to make it all the way to the Eastern hemisphere. So we're looking, <laughs> then we look at the place of like South Sudan and Mesopotamia. And, and we also incorporate like Google expeditions in that and look at, they get to look, view those places. And I know that again, um, it's not local, but but starting local and looking at the history and, and people and place the base helps them to see the bigger world. So um, hopefully through readings and activities like Carrie described, we'll, we'll kind of give them a sense of what it, what it could be. Well, and I think the other thing that's, that's really appealing to me about it is like, we're always trying to find things that our students know and that we know they're all going to know so that we can then focus on the writing. Like, I don't want to have to, not that I don't want to have to read this book to write about it, but I would love a topic that I, we can just all write about right now. Cause we all know it, you know, we can do narrative expository argument. Like we can do all those things about a place cause we all have them. And whether that's, even if it's a kid that's new to the school, well, they came from somewhere else. Like everybody has that inside of them. And I think it's just a cool thing that like, we don't necessarily think about it, but we can tap into that. And it's, it's there for everybody. And so I just feel like that's a really cool way to incorporate thinking and writing and, and looking at the world around us that we can guarantee these kids have. Isn't place-based learning the coolest? Aren't you just so excited to try it out if you haven't been already? And if you have been, aren't you really excited to try out one of Carrie or Celeste's ideas? I know, I am. So if you want to follow more of their work or if you want to um, sign up for their class that they're teaching in the summer of 2021, check out the show notes. You can also check out the show notes to find Twitter links, Instagram handles, all that good stuff. And speaking of Instagram handles, did you know that OWP has an Instagram account? I'm sure that you did, but just in case, at OWPMU and the entire Instagram account is full of nothing but mentor texts and writing invitations. So if you're looking for something to try out, if you're looking for a good mentor text, check us out on Instagram and all the other social media things, which again, you can find in the show notes. So as always, I want to thank you for tuning in to Write Answers.